you, sir. Oh, yeah, I'm looking for a good mystery on something off the beaten track, like the Maldives Falcon. Oh, that was a fascinating story. But here's one that has everything the Falcon had and more. It's Raymond Chandler's latest bestseller, The Big Sleep. What a picture that'll make. You mind if I look at it? Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 130 of Vague Zone. I'm one of your hosts, Thomas. And I'm your other host, Daniel. And today we're concluding our coverage of the theme, a detective story, with one of the heavy hitters, one of the greats, one of the classics, 1946, The Big Sleep. Mm-hmm. Humphrey Bogart, Lauren Bacall. So, Daniel, would you like to read us the IMDb synopsis for The Big Sleep? Sure. Private detective Philip Marlowe is hired by a wealthy family. Before the complex case is over, he's seen murder, blackmail, and what might be love. Yeah. Hell yeah. Directed by Howard Hawks. Mm -hmm. Have you watched much Howard Uh, Hawks? No, not really. That's one of the classic guys I didn't really gravitate towards for whatever reason. Um, Definitely, the name came up in film school a bit, but don't know much about his work. Yeah, I think I've seen... I've seen, uh, is it His Girl Friday? Is that what it's called? Um, yeah. I've seen that. Really enjoyed it. I've also seen uh, Bringing Up Baby. Hated it. <laughs> Hated <Okay>. Bringing Up <laughs> Baby. Regarded as a classic, I found it excruciating. I had to turn it off. I could not stand Bringing Up Baby. Um, gotcha. But yeah, what did, what did you think of The Big Sleep? So, after watching The Long Goodbye, that was like a really cool and like hazy um very like stonery kind of hippie introduction to the character philip Mm -hmm. marlowe has like this fish out of water in this world of hollywood madness and so i found it really fascinating to go back to the 40s to like this classic noir classic gentleman detective kind of story um i do like the atmosphere and i do appreciate everything that's sort of going on here um as like a noir plot is very confusing and it's uh-huh. infamous for being just oh god just a fucking headache to sort of wrap your head around but um i don't think that necessarily takes away from the movie i think the just like the, the confusion of what's happening sort of just kind of drew me in a little bit more and just i appreciate uh humphrey bogart kind of just going from scene to scene and just chomping through this really great dialogue and it's i think that's what really stands out is the quippy dialogue and just the just the overall atmosphere of it feel like they work really well it's classic hollywood classic los angeles and i don't know everyone's kind of just smoking indoors and everything just like really works for the aesthetic um but yeah as far as like the plot is concerned it's oh it's a it's a dc yeah (laughs) Yeah. um yeah what about you you said you watched this today right so i watched i watched half of it last night before i went to bed and then i watched the other half today and I was like, man, I w- like I feel like I was really following it last night. And then as soon as yeah. I revisit it today, I'm like, fuck, I don't, I don't know what the hell's going on. Like, who is Ge- Geiger? Like, uh, yeah. how is he related to any of this? And it's like immediately. So I'm like reading the Wikipedia page, and it's like, oh, okay, like that's who uh, the daughter owed money to uh, initially. Like he's the the bookshop owner and stuff. Um, but yeah, like. I feel like I wish I would have watched it in one sitting. I think it's a movie that I need to revisit because when it comes down to it, it I the confusion was <laughs> distracting and frustrating for me. Like yes, it has it has little moments that like I I really appreciate. Um, 
Like, I think the ending, which I'm not going to spoil, is really engaging, the tension of it. Uh, there's, yes, a, yeah. there's a moment where he's standing and listening to a conversation uh, that turns, you know, turns wrong, I guess. Uh, and that's really engaging. There's a lot of tension there. Um, I love that, like, every woman in this movie is gorgeous. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it, it, it made me appreciate the long goodbye more because I feel like um phil marlowe living next to all of these sort of hippie attractive young women it feels like a playful commentary on this like phil marlowe is just surrounded by beautiful women all the time um that's a good point yeah but in the long goodbye it almost feels like he he like it feels like he's not even interested like he, he the character almost feels like he doesn't have much of a sexuality uh versus here like obviously he's very attracted to um you know, Lauren Bacall. Um, so I don't know. Like, I love, yeah, the scene with the librarian and those interactions. I love his moment with a taxi cab driver and she has this great night, uh, this great line where, uh, she says like, if you, if you need to use me, give, give me a call. And he says like days or nights. And she's like, nights better. I work during the day. (laughs) And I was like, man, that is fucking sharp. Uh, So I think that's like, I was reading reviews and I guess that's what a lot of people love about this is like the sharp dialogue, the performances and like the vibe. Uh, But it was hard for me to get carried away with that stuff when I was so, you know, frustrated with like trying to make sense of what was going on. Yeah, I feel you. Yeah, two of my notes in here is who the fuck is Agnes and who the fuck is uh, Eddie Mars. These two names that came up quite a bit in the second half of the movie. I was just like, I don't know anymore. <laughs> so it's, it's like, I, I know who these people are on screen. It's just I have trouble keeping track of what the relationships are and like what their impact and their meaning is to this overall plot. Like, yeah, because uh, it's like I remember Agnes is like at the li- at the li- or the bookstore or whatever. Uh, but it's like, okay, who's she in a relationship with? Is she a relationship with this, like, little guy? Or is he just interested in her? <laughs> like, yeah. Mars, apparently his wife is a pivotal character, an important character. But it's like, have we met his wife? I don't think we have. Uh, yeah, no. It's yeah, it's a very dense web. And everything is connected in a way that is not it's not really explained very clearly. It kind of just goes, it goes full speed. And you have to just sort of follow it. And I think for, like, the first half like the first two acts of this movie you're almost getting introduced to a new piece of information or a new character like every scene in one way or another and it kind of just like just like all right if you're not keeping up then like just start looking at the lighting just start looking at lauren bacall you know if it's if the train is moving too fast and like all right like i'm just gonna enjoy the the, enjoy the film stock a little bit but it's like how i mean maybe maybe singing in a theater would be better too because it's like I'm watching it in the era where I can pause it and rewind and be like, wait a minute, what was that? What's going on? And yeah, like, yeah, that is yeah, no totally. way to watch a movie. Uh, yeah. So I did myself yeah. a disservice by trying to understand what the hell is going on here. Um, yeah, I think uh, Humphrey Bogart and Howard Hawks would vomit if they, <laughs> was like, oh, you can watch this on a cell phone and pause it and watch it <laughs> yeah. in half speed. <laughs> like, this is, oh, it, what are you doing to this movie? Yeah, um, yeah I'm, I'm with you. I, I do think that's all, it's a reason why this movie is infamous in multiple points in the Wikipedia pages. Like, yes, it's very convoluted. That's sort of why it's like noted. And yeah, the performances are great. And just all of it kind of does feel a little bit disappointing when you do get to the, this really great, great climax or these really fantastic scenes with snappy dialogue. But it's, yeah, it is hard to sort of 
really enjoy it when the underlying motivations on all of it doesn't really feel clear and yeah it's like it's great to like have awesome moments like i really one of my favorite moments in this entire movie is the very small investigation and deceit that he does when he first goes to the bookstore and he meets agnes mm. and he like puts his brim up puts his glasses on and, and like kind of does yeah. like this basically impersonates a much meeker person i just absolutely love that scene because it's like the pure comedy in the middle of this noir and it's just yeah he's just the way he's just like oh like do you sell books hmm like he's just being yeah. it's like it's just so it's like slapstick and weird and it just it totally works even though like i don't quite know what's going on in the back room necessarily it really made me want to i'm sure there's some video on youtube or something like that an interview with an actual private detective to understand like what the fuck do these people actually do what is their life actually like um yeah like is he actually going into a place and playing characters and uh like the interesting thing about that scene is like even though he's playing this character he's still incredibly sharp the whole time with like how he's navigating the scenario um yeah yeah so what do you think about the introduction of our uh, guy general uh what is his last name um starts with an s (laughs) sternwood general sternwood i do like that scene what do you think about just at least the introduction of the case when that, he first dives. So that was something I had to rewind and watch it again because it's like yeah. you're being hit with so much dialogue. And like a lot of times if I'm watching a movie and like I I haven't, you know, it, it, sometimes it takes me like a, a, a few scenes to like let the movie engage me. And so it's like any yeah. questions I had at the beginning, uh clarity come like things come into focus the more i'm presented the more the movie reveals itself like um but this there's so much information up at the front that it's like no i can't just like gloss i can't gloss over that i can't just like let it go and hope that the rest of the movie will make sense as it reveals itself to me i felt like i had to rewind and watch it again Uh, yeah i i do i'm with you on that yeah i I, like had to like really zone in like okay like who like what is this blackmail what is like the dollar amount i was like really zoned in on those details yeah, who's this then, regan guy <laughs> yeah yeah but then it kind of like oh here's another murder and another thing and another thing and it's just like okay like yeah we're, we're we're not really worried about general too much anymore i hope he <laughs> i hope it gets yeah we never up, see him again right no yeah we never see him again yeah um but yeah, I do love just, like, the way it's sort of set. It's, like, a nice little garden, like, indoor greenhouse, and he's, like, on this on his chair, and Humphrey Bogart comes in, he offers him a drink, and over the course of the scene, he, like, he just takes his jacket off, and then he's, like, just slowly pr- sweating through the sweat, entire yeah. shirt. Yeah, by the time he leaves, he's just, like, completely drenched, and I just love that. Um, Want to mention, this movie was remade in 1978 mm-hmm. with Robert Mitchum, and in that scene, he's playing opposite Jimmy Stewart. Hmm. Um, and I think that scene is really fascinating because it's like it's gorgeous. The colors are popping. It, it, like they're doing more fun stuff with the editing. Um, it feels much more dynamic. But I don't know. It's like the lack of the sweat. It just doesn't feel as gritty. It, it, it just wasn't working for me for whatever reason. I just think they fucking nailed it with this. Like it's just. It, just like the wide shot and him just kind of just being in that space just really worked for me. I would suggest watching the uh, 78 clip on YouTube and kind of comparing them. Okay. It's, it's, I feel like it's, it makes so much more sense to do it in the way that they're doing it in the 40s, if that makes sense. It's like much more style, much more like take it back a little bit and just let the scene speak for itself and not overcut it. Well, something I did notice I, yeah. 
during this is there are a lot of just like long take scenes uh and i was like is this because i don't know how many like i don't watch that many 40s noir movies so it's like is this you know representative of the time like a trend of the time or is this was this a decision a conscious decision to like this is how we want the scene to play and feel um um i i feel like so because at least in my memory i haven't seen a ton of classic noir the one big one that comes to mind is the maltese falcon Mm -hmm. and that's like another humphrey bogart very dialogue heavy um but does not really have an exciting climax, in my opinion. This is just the climax is delivered in dialogue, and here we get like actual action, which I do really uh, appreciate. Mm-hmm. Like it made me so much, it made me happy. I was like, oh, at least we get some some guns popping off because at the end of Maltese Falcon, after this very long journey and mystery, he's like, all right, you're going to jail, and I'm like, oh, that, like that it just didn't work for me. It's very disappointing. Um, so I do appreciate that, but yeah, I think after watching this, I am going to be a little more cautious about diving into the classic 40 noir because it seems to just be wide shots a lot of dialogue a lot of names and yeah. just like if you if you can't keep up then i'm sorry then sol you should watch his girl friday uh because okay. that is dialogue like they are uh i'm trying to think i've watched something recently oh asteroid city like there are moments in asteroid <laughs> city when they're fucking racing through dialogue it sounds like maya hawk or whatever her name is is like trying to get the words out as fast as she possibly can and i was like man this reminds me of his girl friday because that's like every fucking scene in that movie and it works really well because the dialogue is just as is just as sharp uh you want to be paying attention you want to be like listening you want to make sure you're getting everything because there's so many freaking jokes delivered so quickly yeah Uh, yeah that's how i feel about witness to the prosecution that's like 10 years after this but billy wilder and it's similar kind of set up essentially where it's like yeah very dense very dialogue heavy um not a lot of locations and it was just very endlessly ruthlessly entertaining just so fucking awesome uh held down by a performance by charles lawton that's absolutely incredible yeah this this one's great what do you think about um the scene where we uh meet uh what is her name? Is it Carmen? I think, no, Camilla. I'm looking at the wrong one. They changed all the names in the 78 version, which is even oh, more confusing. <laughs> yeah, all of the names are changed. Uh, but so in the 48, whatever, it's uh, Carmen when he meets her and she like throws herself on him. And he, <laughs> what do you think? Well, she's. That introduction? Is the first time we meet her when she's drugged up? At no, it's when he, he walks into like the foyer and. He, we get the classic line. It's like, she tried to sit on my lap while standing up. Oh, while up. standing up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like I didn't... Like, the character really made an impression on me when she was drugged up. Because it felt yeah. like... And it was more the performer. Uh, Martha Vickers is her name. Because um, there was something about her performance that felt a little more contemporary to me. Um, I don't know if that's something you picked up on at all. Oh, um, uh, yeah, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, and I, I, don't, I really don't know how to explain it. I guess it was more like when i think of these movies there's like a certain style and like a certain accent a certain delivery to the lines and maybe maybe her being drugged up made it feel a little more naturalistic i don't know uh... yeah i do i'm I'm with you on that i agree because yeah i'm thinking like james stewart you know had that midwestern draw it's gonna be very kind of like a there's a particular banter and rhythm sorry a rhythm to the banter of these older films and yeah i do agree yeah her really like 
druggy kind of performance and her just like calling everyone cute is really funny. Yeah. And then she like <laughs> later on when he meets her again and she's at his house and she's like, is Eddie Mars cute? And he's like, is, no, is Eddie Mars as cute as you are? And he's like, nobody is. <laughs> <That's> just, <laughs> that, that was like my favorite line in the movie. Just like, he's just so fucking on point. And yeah, sharp is the best way to describe it. Like you said. Yeah. Um, what do you think of Lauren Bacall, who's 25 years younger than Humphrey Bogart? <laughs> I think she's great. Also love that, yeah, Humphrey Bogart's like, I'm 38 years old. And I was like, you are <laughs> <No>. cold <laughs> 50. Um, but yeah, I, I do like their chemistry. I think it's interesting that they reshot some of the scenes in this movie to sort of emphasize their chemistry. And I think there's even some speculation that they removed Martha Vickers mm -hmm. like some of her scenes got cut from the 45 version sorry the 1945 cut to sort of more to bump up the screen time of Lauren Bacall and I think she's great I love the scene where she like sings in the, the casino mm -hmm. I really enjoy that yeah I was kind of so after I read that I was kind of trying to think of okay which scenes are the ones that that were added there's at least two scenes where it's just Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall driving around in a car, like having a conversation. Yeah. I feel like that's a very easy place to, you know, we need to shoot more stuff to develop these characters. I think one of those scenes, they even share a kiss. Yeah. Very, yeah. yeah, very obvious way to, uh, you know, build that romance for the audience, I guess. Yeah, and I, I yeah, just, she's great. She's very gorgeous obviously mm -hmm. and uh anytime there's like yeah they're like really close and like doing like the flirtatious thing yeah you can feel it it feels fucking authentic and yeah it's 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 awesome it's really it's just awesome to kind of see because i i haven't watched a lot of these classics classic films with like these like monumental female actresses i'm trying to dive more into it and yeah, I think Hitchcock is a, like another person to like rely on to for that. Honestly, I think this is the first Bogart movie I've seen. I've never, okay. I've never seen Casablanca. Casablanca's dope. Yeah, it's it's, it's absolutely solid. Definitely a fraction of like the plot of this movie. <laughs> like, it's so much more straightforward. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, after we get through to episode two hundred, if we decide to keep going. You know, we've already pivoted the show format once. I, I might want to do like a, like a blind cinematic blind spots sort of thing where we're just like watching uh -huh. movies that people tell us we should have seen already. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Down. Definitely down. Yeah. With stuff like this, like I really appreciate like like the feeling of like giving giving myself homework like okay like go back and just like study these things that were there for me in film school but I was just too busy you know smoking pot or not paying attention in class to really dive into it. I remember I was at the San Francisco International Film Festival and they had a screen, uh, like a 35 millimeter screening of La Ventura and I fell asleep. And I remember I told my friend Max about that. And he's like, dude, that's like an iconic film. Like, how could you possibly fall asleep during that? And I was like, I was tired. Like, I, was, like, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 like I didn't really have a value. I didn't really care. I didn't really like gravitate towards these older films. Now I feel much more appreciative and like, eager to go into it but like i said i'm a little more skeptical of just these dense plotty plot heavy noirs because maybe i think the big sleep might be an outlier as far as like densely confusing yeah. but yeah this might be a little more careful um i fell asleep at sf state watching eight and a half and when i woke <laughs> up i remembered the plot perfectly that's good yeah awesome 
yes, yes. Eight and a half. Ladies buzzing, ladies buzzing. I I think um, this movie is also fascinating because it has like this connection to World War II, which I think is interesting. So they shot this movie and like it's like in I think they shot this in 44, or, like around that time when the war is like about to be over and essentially the studio is like, well, the war is like gearing up to be over and so we need to like drop all of our war movies and get all of those out the pipeline because people aren't going to be interested. And so in the year that this was sort of delayed, um, they like Humphrey Bogart divorced with his then wife and then got with Lauren Bacall. So they're, they had like, became a real life couple and then they sort of did some reshoots. But I think there's, there's a couple of like very small details that are like relics from the war. One being when he gets the, gets to the cab, it's a female cab driver mm-hmm. because the ca- all the boys were over, overseas getting those Nazi scalps so got female cab drivers I thought that was really interesting and then also inside of his car this little B sticker and the B sticker is for gasoline rations and his car is like a is a class that's like acceptable to be operating to get gasoline rations during this time so I think it's cool that those little details are here and maybe that's credit to Howard Hawks for letting those things in but I think it kind of adds to the the texture of the film yeah. like when he goes into the bookstore i don't know if you noticed but there's a, a mark twain sign up like on the ceiling or something like on like on one of the bookshelves and there's like a picture of fdr like in a corner and i was like oh yeah these things are making me like feel like this is like a real place yeah and i don't know i maybe i haven't felt that in other noir films or other older films but it just felt really tangible and real in this one yeah i don't know if you felt that no way. i mean that's interesting uh, i didn't pick up on a lot of that stuff yeah I'm always looking for the, the World War II connection. Um, yeah, anything else on the big sleep? Um, I mean, yeah, not really. If you're listening to this, yeah, like, watch it and give it, give it a try. Try talking about this movie because it's very I think it. I think it's... <laughs> I, I kind of wish someone gave me the heads up, hey, it's confusing as fuck, just, like, let it... Just enjoy each moment. And don't try. Yeah, let it wash. Like the, because the plot doesn't, to me, it doesn't propel it in a way that is emotionally engaging, and I think that is my problem with it. Um, yeah. But if I were to watch it as just like a collection of scenes and allow myself to be come with the scenes individually, then I think it would have worked a lot better for me. Um, yeah, I agree. Um, I think if I had two things I want to bring up, I absolutely love the performance of the character harry jones even though he's only in the scene for two movies he completely stole the show for me this is the guy who consoles him after he gets beat up by the thugs and he's like why didn't you step in there and he's like if a guy's playing his hand i'll let him play it oh yeah really like that line but then he's like when he's like trying to like negotiate the deal with like two hundred dollars and he's like following him around the room he's like you can sit down if you want and he's just like really stiff i just i don't know i just really enjoyed the physicality of his performance i feel like yeah. yeah go ahead sorry kind of interrupted I was like it stole it stole the show it, it stole the show for me I feel like he had very striking eyes too um there yeah. were like moments where he's just kind of like gazing through these wide eyes and I don't know it really pulled me in you know yeah yeah thought he was awesome and then to briefly to mention the climax when he sort of is con- when uh, Marlo confronts uh, the man. I don't know uh, who is this man. <laughs> the villain. Who we've dis- the man we've the decided villain. is the villain. Eddie Mars. Yeah, when he confronts him, 
uh, and there's like goons outside waiting for him and uh, he goes outside and we just get just a very brief flash of violence where like yeah. the line of bullets hit the door and I just I was and like you, yes that's fucking so well done so well done and you know they were a Tommy gun <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> like mentally you just know yeah yeah it's just it, I just that moment really worked for me and like I mentioned the end of Maltese Falcon sort of ends on a, a whimper in my opinion it just doesn't the ending just didn't really feel satisfying and here i was like awesome at least we get to see like or at least implied see someone get gunned down yeah. in a really like brutal way and even like when he shoots the other guy at the tree outside a, a couple scenes before it's just it's a wide shot and he like just turns and just like fires off a couple shots and yeah. the guy just slowly just drops slow, down backing away yeah 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 stunned to death i'm into that yeah into that kind of shit but yeah i agree it would be nice to have a little bit of a warning so if you are listening to this and you haven't watched the movie well i mean we, uh, we spoiled the mars scene although how much does it really matter yeah. <laughs> like yeah. like we just said like this plot is kind of all over the place like yeah yeah sorry yeah, spoiler alert eddie mars was the big bad guy this this character you form a, a strong bond with nah sorry you've had You've had some time to watch The Big Sleep. If it wasn't on your list, you've had yeah. some time to go watch it. And if you're listening to us, then it's just how it is. Um, but I think that might be it for me on this one. Cool. What have you been watching lately? Okay, so this week I fell down two interesting animation rabbit holes. Uh, this past couple of months, I was watching a lot of Food Network and eventually got burnt out on it so i went back to my usual default which is watching cartoons at night usually watch adult swim and so last night there was an episode of american dad called hurricane and hurricane is just a basically episode kind of a bottle episode a hurricane sweeps mm-hmm. through the town and the family is forced to kind of deal with the dad's bad uh, he's really bad at solving problems in a crisis and so every time he comes up with an idea it just makes shit worse and so it's just all about that comedy but i wasn't aware that the episode was a part of a trilogy that Seth MacFarlane made. So Seth MacFarlane is also the creator of Family Guy and The Cleveland Show. Mm-hmm. And so during the season that this aired, there's a hurricane episode in each TV show, and it all links up to each other in a very loose way at the end. I thought that was really fucking cool, because at the end of the American Dad episode, there's like a, a Mexican standoff. It's kind of dumb, really bad joke in it. Uh, but I, overall, I was like, oh, it's cool that it's sort of ends with it all being combined. I thought that was a really ambitious idea that if you were a fan of these shows in like 2000 and like whatever this aired, if you tuned in on Fox that evening, you watched the Cleveland show, Family Guy and American Dad, they all experienced the same hurricane over the course of three episodes. It's like that cinematic That's really universe fun. thing. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. And then I found out that it actually was, uh, <laughs> that wasn't original, that happened in the 90s with three sitcoms and the sitcoms were um, Golden Girls, um, Empty Nest and Nurses. Huh. And it happened on Saturday and they called it Hurricane Saturday. And I was like, that's also really, I, I had no idea that this existed. I think that's really fucking cool. That <laughs> the idea that there's three different sitcoms and they all experience one weather disaster yeah. and it's like one TV event. I was like, that's really fucking cool. Like, I, I, I do appreciate when, you know, you sort of can go that extra length to sort of connect these shows together. And there's been crossovers like Flintstones and the Jetsons or whatever. Um, but I think it's like a, the, ne- the next level is like, okay, if you have three different TV shows, how can we sort of connect them in this way? So I, just, I thought that was kind of fascinating. Yeah. And 
hearing about the um, the Golden Girls version is even in even more interesting. I might track down that episode and like watch that. I've never seen the Golden Girls ever. I've never seen it. Either. Uh, I have friends yeah, who love it. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I think it'd be really fascinating just just to watch that episode, just to see like the Golden Girls in their most extreme condition possible as dealing with a fucking hurricane. Um, so that's one thing. And also on the TV next to me is the thing I'm going to talk about next. So I've been watching a lot of Boomerang. And so Boomerang, for those who don't know, is like Cartoon Network's classic uh, network, essentially. They, you can see stuff from like Popeye, from like the 1930s, even stuff like 1995, like early Powerpuff Girls, Powerpuff Girls. Um, it's like all Hanna-Barbera so I think it's stuff, really, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but now that I'm um, sort of, there's ownership change, changes with like uh, Cartoon Network and Warner Brothers and uh, there's... Yeah, so there's just a lot of licensing stuff going on, but that is all to say, uh, I've been watching a lot of Tom and Jerry. So Tom and Jerry has been something I've been watching more frequently. And so there is a Tom and Jerry uh, short that is that won an Oscar. It is uh, called Cat Concerto. And so Cat Concerto is uh, notable for winning the Oscar, but it's also notable for having plagiarism uh, allegations with uh, the Warner Brothers short um, Rhapsody Rabbit with uh, Bugs Bunny. So these came out in the same year, and for all, and they're basically identical. They're like uh, the character sits down to do a piano performance, and then a mouse appears to disrupt the performance. And by the time the performance is over, the mouse is the star. Um, the Tom and Jerry one, I think, is far superior for the animation. I think it's way better, but I think it's fascinating that this happened, and we just recently watched Who Framed Roger Rabbit which had the scene with the dueling pianos of Daffy Duck, yeah. Donald Duck. And I just thought, like, is that possible that that is a reference to this controversial, like, lawsuit that happened between uh, Warner Brothers and MGM? I just wonder if that's, like, a, a direct or indirect reference to that. So I just thought that that was kind of fascinating that like, all of these sort of characters have, like, a piano duel kind of in common with them. And I just think that that's really interesting. Yeah, it's like a little Easter egg of animation history. Yeah, and there is a Cartoon Network TV show called um, uh, Tune Heads, and Tune Heads does a side-by-side -side comparison of, the, of them both, and that episode is available on archive.org, so if you hunt down that episode, you can see them back-to-back, -back and I, I, like, it was really odd because... I've seen both of these as a kid, so while watching them, I was like, oh, I remember the Bugs Bunny gag of, like, the guy coughing, and then Bugs pulls out the gun and shoots him, or, like, when Tom is playing and he's, like, hitting the notes and Jerry's trying to slice his fingers with the, the pair of scissors. I think it's funny that both have different gags that are, like, iconic for their kind of style of characters. I thought that was kind of interesting, but, um, yeah, just, just a, a very strange rabbit hole I dive down, um, and it just kind of came full circle to after watching Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which has the duel between Warner Brothers character and a Disney character. It was cool to see, like, 30 years before, to see a duel between a Hanna-Barbera character and a yeah. Warner Brothers character. So I just thought, like, just just absolutely insane. And right now, it's playing on my TV, and it's like the <laughs> Jerry is stuck inside of the piano, and the piano keys are going. It's, the, the animation is fucking awesome, so I highly recommend that one. I recommend the Tom and Jerry one. It's, it's great. Um, Watch them both, but the Tom and Jerry one, Cat Concerto, definitely a reason why it won the Oscar. Come up, come up with your own conclusion, folks. Which one's yeah. better? Yeah. Hashtag Team Team Tom. Hashtag Team Bugs. Team, 
I mean, I, I thought I was Team Bugs. I always enjoy seeing Bugs Bunny shoot someone off screen. I always love that. <laughs> yeah, that's about it for me. Uh, what have you been watching? Yeah, speaking of archive, I've kind of been using that as a streaming service lately. Uh, yeah, it's so dope. <laughs> yeah, and it's like very easy to just like cast from your phone if you have like a Chromecast or like Android TV or something. Um, so yeah, we fa- I found the Wolfman on there uh, with. Nice. Um, Gosh, who was it? Was it Lon Chaney Jr.? Uh, I forget who who played the Wolfman, but yeah, classic Wolfman movie. Just like threw it on the TV. Emily watched it. I was I was busy doing other stuff, but um, there was another night we wanted to watch Joe Dante's The Howling. Um, so yeah, out in the garage, got the projector, and just I found it on archive.com, and we watched The nice. Howling, <laughs> um, which that one I actually did watch. Uh, didn't pull me in initially. I feel like it feels kind of unusually serious and dark and grimy for what I expect of Joe Dante, you know, uh, yeah. Joe Dante. Gremlins. <laughs> yeah, gremlins, the burbs, small soldiers. Um, but then it sort of gets to a place, like, once we actually start really seeing these these werewolves, <laughs> there is a sort of cartoonish quality to, like, the way they're shot uh, with these, like, canted angles and... Uh, there's a scene where I guess this is kind of a spoiler. We get a bunch of a bunch of werewolves like kind of having a meeting. Uh, they're not they're not <laughs> in wolf form. They're in human form. But like we we get all these canted angles and like the color feels really exaggerated and like the way it's lit. Um, and so he's like bringing this sort of like comic booky. It reminds me of like um, gosh, creep show or something like this like sort of comic booky stylized. You know, tone to this movie, and that's kind of what I expect from him is like this this lighter quality. Um, And so, yeah, I think I just I love Joe Dante. I want to I want to watch more of his stuff. I was also watching um, on YouTube. You can watch all of Erie, Indiana. Did you ever watch Erie, Indiana? No. So it was this uh, kids show. I think it came out in the early '90s, and then I think in '97 it uh reappeared on like fox kids or something and that's how i i saw it um and but it, but it's the show about these kids who live in erie indiana and it's just like a town where everything's weird and like these kids are the only ones that like pick up on how weird their neighborhood is so it feels very much like the, oh, like the burbs or something where it's like these kids sweet. are except that that yeah i guess it is like the burbs because like the neighbors actually are weird in that uh, they're not just paranoid um yeah. But, uh, yeah, Joe Dante directed, I think, like, the first episode and maybe the second episode, but he was, like, a creative consultant over the whole series, and it holds oh, up. Sweet. It's, it's like, great kids spooky TV. I think during um, nice. Halloween season, it would be good to just, like, go pull, pull up Erie, Indiana, these, like, little half-hour episodes. Each one's sort of, like, a Monster of the Week-style episode. Um, nice, yeah. Yeah, and you can just, like, hammer Love through you. them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, watch that. Uh, I also saw the new Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. Have you seen that? No, no. Oh, dude, I, <laughs> like, Emily and I got out of the theater, and we were, like, on a high. We were, like, we were, like, ready to start <laughs> high-fiving people. We were, like, so jazzed. Um, oh, it's, yeah. it's pretty long. Uh, it starts with this, like, ridiculous, like, Russian submarine, like, scene, which... 
like it was i found it really distracting because the whole time they're speaking english with russian accents and so i was like wait a minute like are they russian like what's going on like what why are they speaking english um but then like, sorry go ahead strange <laughs> yeah because it's also like not that long of a scene that it's like I guess they don't want that to be anyone's first impression in case they're catching it on TV or something. Like, maybe they got the language wrong. Um, But, yeah, like, as soon as it gets going, it's just, like, the action sequences aren't even the best parts. Like, there's this great airport scene where it's just, like, they're trying to steal something from a guy at the airport, and it kind of they're also trying to dodge these like agents who are pursuing them and then there's like uh, a second plot line at the same time that this is happening where simon Pegg has to go like defuse a bomb and they're trying to keep it secret from tom cruise because he's got his hands full with like the airport (laughs) mission um and so they're just kind of like juggling these two plot lines and the tension is great and you're just like into it the whole time like um and it feels like I, I, w- I was hoping you'd seen it because I, I want to. I wanted to ask. Like, <laughs> it, it feels. I get Evangel- Evan- Evangelion vibes from it. Uh, Interesting. Okay. <laughs> um, is it Evangelion right, right. or Evangelion? <laughs> Suddenly, I'm like forgetting. But um, but yeah, there's <laughs> like early on in the movie, there's a scene where this guy, he's the uh, head of the Department of Defense, I think. Um, he's getting just like a rundown from his like council of like what the situation is. And his council is talking as if they all share one mind where it's like each of them is just like (laughs) delivering a line that feels like it's part of one monologue. And like, we're cutting between like these close-ups of their faces as they're like delivering these lines and like the angles start getting like kind of canted and stuff. Um, And it's just, it feels so stylistic one of my favorite scenes in the movie is like all of these major players getting together and they're just they're just talking and it's just like these big faces in the foreground with like and they're at a club so there's just like projections and like wild colors in the background and i'm like this is a fucking anime um uh, rebecca ferguson has an eye patch at one point there's all this like weird (laughs) religious stuff going on because like the MacGuffin of the movie is this key that looks like a cross and like the villain is this guy Gabriel um and like (laughs) yeah yeah, it's like Tom Cruise like facing off with this like omniscient AI is like sort of also kind of the MacGuffin um these aren't spoilers these are just like details um but yeah dude yeah I I was so into this movie uh yeah, I'm, I'm fucking. I'm stoked to watch it. I feel like I'm either gonna do a full series rewatch before diving mm. into it, or or like fucking go, dude. Just go. Yeah, I, I, I'm on the fence. I'm on the fence. Um, yeah, like I just watched True Lies this week, and it was, I did not enjoy it at all. And I was like, I think I need to step away from action for a little bit because it kind of burned me out in yeah. a bad way. Um, but I'm I'm definitely down. Definitely Have down. you seen much of the marketing materials for Mission Impossible? Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. I will say what is disappointing is so you've seen the motorcycle stunt. Yeah. Okay. It's like I've been going to the movies every like, every week. So I've seen that trailer at least ten times. <laughs> so the problem is like that stunt happens really late in the movie. So like gotcha, when yeah, it's yeah. coming, you're like, I know what's coming. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. like it kind of like takes some of the I don't know some of the fun out of it because it's like I've already seen this a dozen times on television. Um, yeah. Yeah. But. Uh, I don't know. It's 
yeah, I had a great time. And I saw it in Dolby, so of course, like, the seats are shaking every time there's a gun fired. And, <laughs> yeah, it's a good time. Uh, All right, nice, nice. I think that's it yeah. for me. Sweet. Uh, I just want to tack on two things. Um, as far as uh, Joe Dante, uh, speaking of cartoons and shit, uh, Looney Tunes back in action. I still um, need to see wanna, it. <laughs> yeah. If, if you're thinking about watching something to kind of connect to the Brendan Fraser renaissance that happened last year with The Whale, I think rewatching Looney Tunes back in action is a, is a great little addition into his filmography that is that's solid. I think it's, personally, I think it's it's okay. Some people fucking love it. They say, like, this is what Space Jam should have been. This is fucking amazing. <laughs> like, blah, blah, whatever. Like, I think Steve Martin is doing something really, really strange. And that kind of kind of takes me out sometimes. Steve Martin is, is dialing up the wacky to, like, a thousand, which is kind of worse for Looney Tunes. But for, yeah, the movie itself, I don't know if it works. But I'm curious to see what you think about that movie. Um, and also, sh- another shout-out to archive.org. That's where I watched Witness for the Prosecution. So when I was doing my IMDb Top 100 poster and I was getting really desperate on finding things, archive.org came in clutch a lot. And there are tons, and I'm not even exaggerating, there are tons and tons of classic films from the 40s, 50s, and 60s on archive.org. That's where I watched a very uh, low-resolution version of Rear Window for like 20 minutes before I just went out and rented yeah. an actual HD version because the movie's so gorgeous. But if you are short on cash and you want to go and make a deep dive into classic films, there's like there's like countless classic films on there. Almost to the point where it makes like the streaming service, it kind of puts the streaming services to shame because like, oh yeah, they're all here, they're all free. Like, why can't it be this easy <laughs> to just go and like... I, I couldn't thing. find the big sleep on there. I was looking for it, so... Okay. It might, yeah, it might be a, it might be some gaps, yeah. but there's there's a lot on there. There's yeah. A lot on there. Okay. So uh, we got to roll okay. a die. Okay. I don't have my. I got my little die, my uh, pink lemonade over here. It took me a long time to okay, find it. Okay, go, go for it. Ten. Rebellion. Ooh. Rebellion. First thing I think of is Red Dawn. <laughs> What do you th- first thing I thought of was Star Wars? Star Wars. Oh, I mean, it feels like it was kind of a like we've talked a lot about Star Wars, but we've never talked yeah, about yeah. Star Wars. <laughs> um, Red Dawn is interesting. I've, that's one of the movies I have in my studio where I just throw it on. Uh, it, it's a it's an interesting one. That's um, what is the name of the director? The name of that director is he's the dude who um john milius so he's the dude who directed Bar- conan the barbarian mm. so oh, okay. yeah yeah john milius is like a crazy person <laughs> like he directed the dirty harry movies hardcore conservative really big into guns yeah red dawn is interesting um, could be could be down for for red, red dawn. dawn i haven't seen it in a long time i think I, last time i saw it was in high school hmm. yeah Last time I put it in my PlayStation was like a month ago. <laughs> okay. I, I didn't. I w- but I was watching it on mute. Okay. I was also watching you it on mute. You don't watch it monthly? <laughs> no. No, I didn't. All right. So, Red Dawn? Sure. Sure. Patrick Swayze. One of the prettiest tough guys of cinema. Yeah. Flowing hair, but can still do a roundhouse kick that will shock you. All right, cool. Well, it's been a great run of detective stories. We did Who Framed Roger Rabbit. We did The Long Goodbye and The Big Sleep. And if you're interested in the Lost episode, check out 
the film Under the Silver Lake with Andrew Garfield. We had a good time watching it. Sorry the discussion isn't there, but it's a movie I would still recommend you throw on if you're interested in a detective story and neo-noir. If you like Andrew Garfield, I think you'll have a good time watching that movie. Cool. So yeah, join us next time when we go into Rebellion, Red Dawn. Mm -hmm. All right, cool. This has been episode 130. If you'd like to email us, you can email us bigzonepod at gmail.com. Let us know what you're watching. If you have questions, comments, concerns, or theme suggestions. If you're still on Twitter, you can tweet at us at VagueZone. Let us know what you're watching on there. But yeah, this has been 130. I'm Thomas. And I'm Daniel. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.